Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Several months ago, I had the uh, the pleasure of introducing to you uh, Lavelle Law Attorney Vishal Chabria. Uh, Vishal and I at that time had a great overview discussion on immigration law, and subsequently he returned for another podcast uh, a few weeks after that. So today, I'm once again going to call on Vishal to uh, help us out as we turn our attention to uh, an immigration-related topic. Uh, today, we're going to talk about asylum. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, as always, I anticipate a very detailed and comprehensive conversation uh, with a lot of uh, information that we need to get to, so let's turn our attention to it immediately. Uh, Good afternoon, Vishal. Nice to have you with me again. Good afternoon. Thanks. Um, Relative to the topic of immigration law, um, tell tell us what you intend and what you mean when you use the term asylum. Sure, absolutely. Well, asylum is a technical term within immigration law, and it specifically means a person is looking for protection in the United States because they've suffered persecution or they fear that they will suffer persecution in either their home country or a country of habitual residence based on a couple of factors such as race, religion, nationality, political opinion, and membership in a particular social group, which can be... um, LGBTQ issues or domestic violence issues and things like that. So when someone feels that they're in that that category and they they have that uh, fear, as you've described, um, what process would they follow? I mean, clearly there are many people from many countries and and, uh, different uh, societies that I'm sure could fall in that, but there probably is a specific process. So how do they begin? Well, absolutely. Well, the first thing is to kind of uh, determine whether or not you are eligible to even apply. So there are three Mm -hmm. categories of folks who cannot apply. Uh, One is if you don't follow the one-year filing deadline. That means you enter the country and you have filed your application for asylum within a year of entry, or if you had a previous asylum application denied or if it's clear that you can be removed from the United States to a safe third country. Um, With regards to the one-year deadline, there are exceptional circumstances that allow people to uh, uh, apply for asylum even after the year has elapsed, Um, but that's just on a case-by-case basis. Uh, Once you've determined that you're eligible for asylum, then you actually have to use a particular form. It's called USCIS. USCIS form I-589, um, and it's uh, you know many pages long. There's a lot of questions, but the most important aspect of that form is not the form itself, but something that goes along with that, which is a personal declaration. That is the personal statement of the individual filing for asylum. That's their story. Okay, and that's uh, I was actually going to ask that in terms of the information that needs to be provided. You mentioned it's a, it's a, a lengthy form, so I'm sure that there are some documents and history and other things but um tell us what what goes into the you know into that application and, and talk a little bit about the 
that uh, the story, as it were, as you just described it. What, what are the what would the government be looking for to see in that as well? So the government's looking for uh, the those same qualities for eligibility for asylum. You're basically having to demonstrate that you are in the United States and seeking United States protection because you have suffered persecution or fear that you will suffer persecution if you are removed or have to return to your country. Um, Just, you know, in terms of actual things that are needed for the application itself, the individual who's applying for asylum needs to have a passport-style photo, which is actually attached, uh, stapled to the asylum application on a particular page in a particular space. You need a copy of your passport if you have that. Um, You need evidence uh, demonstrating or evidencing the statement in your personal statement. Now, a personal statement can be, it can be typed, it can be handwritten, it can be in legal language, it can be in plain English. As long as you're getting the story out there and with that, you're also submitting proof. So, for example, if you're saying that you belong to a, a particular political party, and people from that political party are now being persecuted in your country, uh, it would help to show some kind of proof that you were a part of that political party, and you would also want to do some research on the politics in that country to demonstrate to the government that in that particular country, this is the political situation, and you know, you could go to the Associated Press or New York Times or any other leading publication and basically pull up articles about that. Uh, And the last thing is you can submit what we call uh, country conditions experts affidavits. That's people who are experts in that country or that area. For example, um, if it involves LGBTQ issues or issues related to domestic violence against women in particular countries, you can speak to professors or journalists, uh, people of that nature who can provide affidavits um, explaining the country conditions. Now, I have a couple of things I want to follow up on there, but let me take one quick sidetrack. Um, you know, I, I phrased a question, you know, about the government. Can, can you tell us which uh, department in the U.S. government actually handles asylum requests? Absolutely. So there's two types of asylum. There's affirmative asylum and defensive asylum. If you're, if you're filing an application for affirmative asylum, that necessarily means you're dealing with the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services only. That's USCIS. But if you're filing uh, under defensive asylum, that also necessarily means something else. It means that you're probably in removal proceedings, in which case you are now dealing with the Department of Justice, and within the Department of Justice, the Executive Office for Immigration Review, also known as Immigration Court. And you mentioned in in talking about uh, what needs to be submitted, um, some of that background and the information that's going to strengthen the case. Uh, I'm sure in some cases there are at least minimal, if not larger, language barriers. There are people who may not know the process. Um, tell me about the role you would take. This is a place where I think someone would want to go to a qualified attorney to help them through. So how how do you help guide people through that process? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, definitely language barriers and cultural barriers to understanding the process. Um, an attorney who's qualified and has done asylum before and has experience in asylum petitions, both affirmative and defensive, uh, could clear up a lot of the doubts or um, what I actually often say is clear up a lot of the um, the kind of the the misinformation that most people have from reading things on the Internet or talking to 
uh, unqualified attorneys or people who are posing themselves to be attorneys, such as notarios and things like that, you want to make sure you avoid all of that. So one of the first things you want a qualified attorney to do is to hear your questions, clear up any misinformation, and then actually just talk specifically about your case. Um, because a lot of people might think they qualify for asylum or they're eligible, but sometimes a qualified attorney can pretty quickly say that, you know, this is not this is not a very strong case for asylum. So you want to make sure that if you're still here legally in the country on a particular status and your status is about to expire and you're thinking that you're going to have a successful asylum application, you definitely want to talk to a qualified attorney before you get out of status um, because that will that's what will happen if you file and then you're later deemed not have been eligible. Uh Immigration, a very important topic in our, in our national discourse currently, and we've been fortunate over the last few months to rely on input from Attorney Vishal Chabria of Lavelle Law. Um, he has extensive experience in, in all areas of immigration law, as you can hear, and does an outstanding job of explaining the many nuances of it, um, at least as much as we can do in 15 minutes at a, at a time. So for more in-depth assistance, uh, visit Vishal's profile at lavellelaw.com or give him a call directly at 847-705-7555 is the number. And we're going to get a few more questions in here today while we can. Um, You mentioned status. So if someone is in this country um, and they choose to to make the application for asylum, are they able to continue on whatever uh, has brought them to this country if they're here working or here for another purpose? Does any of that get impacted? Yeah, absolutely. So there's all sorts of people within all sorts of different statuses in this country. So you could be here on a on a work visa, you could be here on a visitor's visa, um, and all sorts of other visas. And so each one of those visa types has different expiration dates, or or um, more more um, accurately, each one of your entries into the United States has a particular date upon which that entry uh, expires. That's your I-94 date. And so um, it's really important to work on the timing. I mean, if there's a if there's someone here on a visitor's visa which expires, their authorized stay, so to speak, expires, um, then if they're denied, they will be placed into removal proceedings. They they'll be you know, the government will try to then deport them uh, if their asylum is denied. I mean, uh, as a side note, if if your asylum application, your affirmative asylum application with USCIS is denied, you will be recommended to your your attorney would recommend that you continue to try to fight for that case in the immigration courts um, as you deal with the removal proceedings. So um, it's not necessary; it's not completely necessary that you would be deported, but it's it's you know there is a high likelihood of being in a situation like that. So it's, it is very important to understand your status when you apply and what your status would be a few months or a few years after an application for asylum, because sometimes asylum applications can take three to five years. What's the flip side of that? If your asylum application is approved, does that immediately put you on a path toward citizenship, or is that a whole other procedure? Yeah, so if your asylum application is approved, uh, the approval itself allows you to be work authorized in this country so you can legally work. Uh, and within a year, you can apply for your uh, permanent resident status. And then the permanent resident status is the last step before applying for citizenship. So it is a path to and a green is, card and then eventual citizenship. 
And um, I just want to go back. I'm looking at the time here. We've got a couple of things I want to mention. Because you, you mentioned earlier about um, kind of a, a one-year window, uh, and I don't want to just gloss over that. If someone comes to this country, is that when this, the clock starts ticking? And if they want to pursue asylum, it needs to happen within that period? So this is this is a very, very important question, so I'm glad you came back to it. When you file for affirmative asylum, you ha- you're supposed to – the rule is you're supposed to apply for asylum within one year of the date of your last arrival in the United States. The exception to that rule is if you can show that there are changed circumstances that materially affect your eligibility for asylum or extraordinary circumstances relating to the delay in filing, that is it, you didn't file in one year, and then you filed within a reasonable amount of time given those circumstances. So, so – the, the, the first um, analysis is something changed, let's say, in your country in terms of political conditions, for mm-hmm. example. And then it's not like you're applying a year after something changed, but maybe just a few weeks or a few months after something changed. So you have to, you have to meet both of those tests, and then you could be given it's – it's almost like a, a, a waiver of that rule. It's an exception to a rule. Okay. Um, and, and I guess one last thing to ask, because I, I can imagine people wanting to know this, where I, I've sort of been phrasing the, the conversation around an individual. If someone is here with a family or has a family that would be involved, is there just one application for the family, or do you, is it an individual person by person within that family that has to apply for asylum? Yeah, so the typical case is you have, a, let's say, a husband, a wife, and their two children. So number one, the one spouse who's the applicant can include his or her spouse, um, and they can include their children as well. And the only qualification for the children is the children need to be under 21 and unmarried at the time of the applications. So you could include all of these folks in the I-589. The only thing that changes in the application is you have separate packets for each individual. So the application just becomes a little larger. And, of course, you're including all of the biographical information of each one of those individuals in the application. You can also include family members um, any time before the asylum application is adjudicated. So it doesn't have to be necessarily at the time of the application, but before it's adjudicated. Well, clearly a very complex topic, and we thank Vishal Chabria from Lavelle Law for being here. Again, 847-705-7555 or lavellelaw.com to get more information. And we'll look forward to having Vishal back with us in the near future and look forward to having you with us. Thanks so much for being here. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.